It's my goal simply to be a vessel to allow the Holy Spirit to speak through me, to prepare myself, allow Him to speak through me to you. However, I always say this, and I've said this for years and years and years and years, don't believe anything I say unless you can find it in the Bible for yourself. God's Word is our final authority. Hallelujah. And so I always encourage people, study the Scriptures. Jesus, speaking to the religious leaders, said, Search the Scriptures, study the Scriptures, for in them we find life. The book of Proverbs, we quoted this morning, Proverbs chapter 4, He said, My word shall be life unto those that find them, health or medicine to all their flesh. I don't know any medication. You know, many times people take medication. They need to, and that's okay. But I don't know any medication you take one time, and uh, it benefits you, even with vitamins. My wife is constantly giving me vitamins. Someone has to look out for me. So, you know, I don't know anything. You take just one time, and you'll benefit from that. So God's Word is medicine. We continue to feed on the Word of God, to meditate on the Word of God. And it will produce, as Pastor said, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. You know, it's interesting in that parable, Jesus said this is how the kingdom of God operates. As a man that plants seed in the ground. And then He said it brings forth, it begins to produce, first the blade then the stock, and then finally the fruit or the grain. And of course, uh, being raised in, in, on a farm and farming, uh, I understand that principle. You have to till the ground, you plant the seed. And many times, you know, when, uh, when the corn plant comes up, it looks like grass. It just looks like a small plant. And if the farmer looked at that plant and thought to himself, well, that corn seed must be no good. If he's expecting an immediate harvest and he takes his tractor and his plow or his disc and he tears up the field and tears up that new corn, there will never be a harvest. So first the blade, after that the stock, and then the full grain. You know, many times developing our faith is a process. And many times we try to go from one level to the other level instantly. But we have to realize it is a process. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so no, don't ever get discouraged on where you are in your walk with the Lord. God will lead you step by step. When God led Israel out of, uh, out of Egypt, I believe it's in the book of Exodus, the Living Bible said He led them by easy stages. I like that. He led them in an indirect route because if they would go in the shortest route, they would have to go through enemy-held territory, and He knew that the hearts of the people would be discouraged. And so He led them on the right, correct route by easy stages. Hallelujah. God will lead you in His pathway, and He'll help you grow and develop. Amen? Well, let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful that we can come together and study Your Word. And we're so grateful for the great teacher, the Holy Spirit, who lives on the inside of us. And tonight we look to you, Holy Spirit. We thank you for guiding us and directing us in this service. We thank you for unfolding and unveiling the Word of God, revelation knowledge to our hearts. 
Father, I ask you that every person here tonight will have an open heart, receptive heart, open mind to the Word of God. And Father, we're very careful to give you all the praise and all the glory for everything that is revealed tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If you will, go ahead. Let's go ahead and open one more time to 1 John chapter 5. We might as well continue on the subject of faith. We could share four hours on this subject, of course, but I want to share just some, some things that I feel the, the Spirit of God has been uh, emphasizing and wants to emphasize concerning this subject. It's such an important subject and such an expansive subject in the Word of God. But here in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, whatsoever, for whatsoever is born of God, how many of you are born of God? Then you overcome the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. The Good News Bible says, because every child of God is able to defeat the world. And we win the victory over the world by means of our faith. Now we know as children of God, as believers, when we became children of God, and of course we all know 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, therefore if any man be in Christ, any person is in Christ, they are a what? New creature. New creature. One translation says new creation. A brand new person that never existed before. Hallelujah. Brand new on the inside. Now you still have the same body. Your body did not change when you became a believer. You did not, well, unless you were young, you didn't grow any taller. Your ears did not get bigger or shorter. Your nose didn't grow. Nothing physically changed when you became a believer. But on the inside, hallelujah, on the inside, your spirit was totally recreated. You became a new creature in Christ Jesus. Pastor, as Pastor Tony said, you were taken out of the kingdom of darkness and placed into the kingdom of His dear Son. What a miracle. And I don't think we'll fully understand the new birth until we get to heaven and discover what Jesus did for us on the cross. What His death, burial, and resurrection and ascension means to us what His substitutionary work means to us. He became sin, as Pastor said, that we might be made, made the righteousness of God in Christ. So therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Well, the all things that have become new are not natural physical things. Even not all of your thinking patterns became new because many of you have the same thoughts after you became a Christian that you had before you were a Christian. And many times young, young Christians, you know, they'll, they'll think to themselves and Satan will, you know, encourage them to think, well, you have the same think, thoughts you had before you were a Christian, you're not really saved. No, you are born again if you did believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Confessed Him as your Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit came into your spirit, did the work of regeneration and recreated you. And the life of God and the presence of God came on the inside. The Holy Spirit came on the inside. He dwells on the inside of you. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. So you're a new creature in Christ Jesus. You have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. And then we also discover in Romans chapter 12, let's turn there quickly. 
Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, I want you to notice, of course, this is talking about uh, something a little bit different, but we can apply it to what we're discussing tonight. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, Paul said, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt or given to each one, what? The measure, a measure, the measure of faith. Now, what kind of faith did we receive when we were born again? Obviously, the God kind of faith. So you have already received a measure of the God kind of faith. Hallelujah. And God gives us a way, all of us, that we can take that measure and make it grow and develop. Now, you know, it's interesting, years, uh, years ago, I used to have a set of uh, weights. We call them dumbbells or barbells. And uh, I think I had maybe an instruction manual on weightlifting. And obviously, I didn't continue that, you can tell. And so, you know, I used to ask people, and, and when I'm in the classroom teaching, I would ask the students, you know, uh, I would watch these bodybuilders on television. And, you know, one famous bodybuilder everyone knows about is Arnold Schwarzenegger. And I think he won the world championship, I don't know how many times. And, you know, when you look at him or anyone like that, then look at me, what's the difference? Well, I have the same number of muscles. They have, how many muscles do I have? 206. Huh? 206 muscles. And uh, when you get older, you find out some of those muscles you haven't used before. <laughs> you do something you never did, it's like, where did that come from? That's one of those 206 you haven't been using. So I have 206 muscles, according to my wife, who's a biology major. And uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger has 206 muscles. But what's the difference between him and me? You won't, you won't you know, hurt my feelings. Go ahead. You can tell me. Huh? Thank you. He's developed his. I've developed this one. And I can, I'm ambidextrous. I can do this with chopsticks. Left or right. You know, there's a right-handed set of chopsticks and left-handed. Did you know that? So the, the major difference is he and bodybuilders have worked on each specific muscle group. They have taken weights, done specific training to develop those muscle groups. Now, I could have a set of dumbbells, barbells, weights, and a manual. And I could memorize that manual. I could quote portions of that manual to you on how to develop my muscles. But if I never picked up the dumbbells or the barbells, would my muscles ever develop? No. See, we can memorize portions of Scripture. We can mentally know and understand what the Bible says. But until we actually begin to do what the Word says, we'll never develop in that area of our faith. And we can be more developed in some areas and less developed in other areas. You know, for years, when I was a young boy, 
as a matter of fact, when I was three years of age, I contracted uh, a disease. Uh, I don't know the technical name. Maybe someone here does know the technical name. But it was a blood poisoning that was carried by rats. And, uh, of course, I was raised on a farm. We had whole milk when I was a child. We had a cow. And, you know, sometimes you have to explain to some people, milk comes from a cow, <laughs> not from the store. And chocolate milk comes from a brown cow. <laughs> so I drank whole milk. And, uh, you know, once you had, have had whole milk, it's very difficult to drink pasteurized, homogenized milk. That's just different. So uh, we were raised with that. So evidently, I don't know, there were rats or something that were in the milk house, and they were carriers of this disease called Haverhill's disease. I don't know the technical name, but a lot of World War II uh, soldiers died uh, from that illness. And it's a blood poisoning. And somewhere or another, I, I contracted that disease, and uh, at that time, there was no cure. And I remember, well, I don't remember, I was too young, but my father told me later that they had two pediatricians working on my case in the state of Iowa, where I'm from, and uh, the doctors said, well, uh, in his present condition, he's not going to live very long. And that's due to extreme high temperatures. Uh, my body was swelling up and the immune system was not working correctly. And so they gave me literally hours to live. And so finally one of the doctors said, well, we're, we're experimenting with sulfa. At that time they were experimenting with that particular medication. Uh, and we could try that. We, there's no guarantee. And if we use that, uh, there's a good chance that uh, it may damage his kidneys beyond repair. So my father said, well, I don't want that to take place. And so both pediatricians said, we are going to resign off his case, and he will die in so many hours. And so uh, obviously my father reconsidered, and we had a church that we were attending at that time, and uh, the pastor was not a spirit-filled pastor, but a wonderful man of God. Love God, love people. And he gathered a group of, of people together to pray. Uh, and the doctors used that medication on me. And, and less than 24 hours, I was totally healed. Now, I believe it was a combination of that medication and prayer. And so I'm not against medication at all. I've seen how God can, can help people keep them alive long enough so that their faith can grow and develop. Hallelujah. You know, we're, we believe in, in healing, health and healing, and any method we can receive health and healing. Obviously, the greatest method is divine healing. And divine healing is healing that comes directly from God, imparted to us. And that's God's best, but obviously, not all of us are in a position to receive that uh, for some reason or another, and we should never condemn ourselves. And so God has devised several methods whereby we can receive healing. And so I'm so grateful that, thank God for medical doctors. Thank God for hospitals that help people. Thank God for them. We're not against them. We're not, we're not opposed to medical science or medication. You understand that. Uh, they're doing all they can uh, to help people, to save people. And so, uh, to make a long story short, because of that, in my body, at least, I... Uh, 
you know, I was susceptible to illness. And so growing up in, uh, you know, with my sister, I have a sister five years older than I am, a brother nine years older than I am, and a sister 13 years younger than me. So uh, growing up with my older sister and brother, it seemed like I was sick all the time. You know, colds, flu, specifically uh, stomach flu. And my sister had great faith in me getting sick and bringing that sickness home and infecting everyone else. So my sister would say, because she believed what she said, that if there's anything going around, I will get it and bring it home and the rest of the family will catch it. Well, her faith worked. And so I was sick, you know, every wintertime flu season, constantly, year after year after year. And so, uh, to make a long story short, when I became introduced to the Word of God and teaching on healing and redeemed from the curse of the law, this was all brand new to me. As a matter of fact, they used to have, you know, commercials on TV, remember cold season's coming, don't have a cold without puffs. Remember that? Puffs is a tissue. Don't have a cold. So go buy your puffs before cold season comes. And then flu season's coming, right? So get ready. And then this season's coming. Get ready. Allergy season's coming. Get ready. And so I was raised around that. So that was just a common way of thinking. It's just you're going to get sick. And so when I began to hear teaching on the subject of healing, that was all new to me. And it took some time for me to uh, change my thinking concerning sickness and disease and accept what God's Word says. So I have great patience with people. I understand. So I remember the first year, this was all new to me, and so the first year flu season's coming. So I said, I'm never going to have the stomach flu again. I said it. Well, here comes flu season uh, and I got the flu. I got the stomach flu. And so uh, I didn't get discouraged. You know, the Bible says, don't cast away your confidence. Don't cast, you know, turn over to Galatians quickly. I want you to see this. And I'm just kind of being led here by the Holy Spirit on what to say. Galatians. And I want to use myself as an illustration. I think you'd prefer that than me using you. So... I'm going to use me. Galatians, notice here, uh, chapter 6, let us, verse 9, Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, let us, and Paul is writing to born-again, spirit-filled believers, let us not be what? Weary. You know you can become weary? Not just physically or mentally, but also spiritually. Let us not be weary in well-doing. In well-doing. The Living Bible said, let's not get tired of doing what is right. You can become weary in doing the right things. Going to church. Praying. Giving. Serving. You can become weary in doing the right things if you're not careful. Do not be weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if. 
I wish Paul would have never put that little word in there. If. If what? We faint not. We faint not. So that implies that due season will not come if we faint. There's the possibility, right? Due season to me is what we've been anticipating or waiting or believing for is coming into manifestation. So let us not be weary of well-doing. In other words, let's not get tired of doing the things we know to do. For in due season or the proper season, we will re reap a harvest of blessing, one translation says, if we do not quit. If we do not quit. And so go back with me to Mark chapter 4. So I made this statement. I'm never going to have the stomach flu. Well, the devil is immediately going to come to find out what you believe. Immediately. And, uh, you know, in this portion of Scripture, the sower soweth the word. And we have read this Scripture, these verses many times. Jesus talks about four different kinds of soil. Here in Mark chapter 4, in verse 14, the sower sows the word. And these are the ones, and we're talking about faith. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, who comes immediately? Who comes immediately? Satan comes immediately. Satan comes immediately and tries to take away or steal the word that is sown in your heart. Anytime you receive truth or light or revelation, Satan will come immediately to rob that truth or revelation from you. And usually he'll come uh, into your mind. He'll come with thoughts, imaginations, to distract you from the truth of God's Word. Satan comes immediately to steal that Word. Now, when I heard about healing, you know, I, it, it took some time for me, really, to wrap my mind around that because I thought, how are you going to die? This is really me. How are you going to die if you never get sick? I'm just thinking humanly now, right? How in the world are you going to die? As a matter of fact, all the examples around me, my peers, and those who are more mature in the Lord in the church that I was raised, I love, love my church very much, wonderful people, but everyone got sick. So I had no example to follow. No one. No one in the natural that I could look to and say, this person is walking in divine health and healing. And then, you know, we would pray for people who were sick, some terminally, terminally ill, and I would say probably 100% out of 100 times, we prayed and nothing happened and they died. So I have nothing in the natural to look at to convince me that God's word concerning health and healing is real and true for me now. Now what we do many times, this is what I did, so I'm talking about me. We bring human experience into the Word and interpret the Word with human experience. So we say, well, if it was God's will for people to be healed and never be sick, then no one would die. And I prayed for someone who was sick and they never got healed. Therefore, I conclude 
that God's will concerning healing is not for everyone. Well, you would not say if you witnessed to someone and they rejected Christ that it's not God's will to save everyone. Right? You would immediately take me to the Scriptures that said God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Isn't that right? And you would say, well, you know, they have a will. They can choose. They can receive the gospel or reject the gospel. Well, the same is true concerning anything that God has done for us through Christ. We have to believe it. We have to embrace it. We have a choice. And so when I began confessing, I'm healed. I'm never going to have the flu. The first year, here comes flu season, and I got the flu. But I never got discouraged. I didn't quit confessing God's Word. Every day I'm confessing out loud healing scriptures. Healing scriptures. You know, as a pastor, and I pastored for about almost 12 years, many times I would go to the hospital and visit individuals. And uh, the first thing I would ask them, I'm talking about my members, people that uh, we have taught, not new converts. And I would ask, okay, what scriptures are you meditating on? Give me two or three healing scriptures. And sometimes they would look at me like, well, that's your job. <laughs> Not trying to be critical, but you understand if a person's believing for healing, then meditating on scriptures about the Antichrist probably is not going to produce faith for healing. I mean, if you have a need, then you should focus in on that need. And so I would say, okay, find two or three scriptures and meditate, start meditating on those. I'm going to come back. I prayed with him, but I'm going to come back later. Because if, if they're expecting to be healed, then they're expecting me to pray in faith with them to receive. But they have to also understand that their faith has to be activated. So both of us together in praying the prayer of agreement, both of us, our faith has to be activated and it can only be activated when it's established on what God's Word says. Not on my experience, your experience, my feeling, your feeling, but what God's Word says. That's the foundation. So I began to confess, I'm healed, and I'm not going to have the flu. Well, I, I got the flu, but I didn't get discouraged. Every day I would confess, spend time confessing the Word of God on Health and healing, found several scriptures, many, many scriptures on healing. I'm taking God's medicine. I'm taking God's medicine. And so, uh, next year, here comes flu season. And I got the flu again. But this time it didn't last as long. And I didn't get discouraged. First the blade. Notice what he says. Let's look at this again. Go down here with me in Mark chapter 4. Notice what he says. Let's go down here. Notice what he says in verse 28. Jesus said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. And we know what the seed is. The seed is the Word. Jesus interpreted that parable. The sower sows the seed. The seed is the Word of God. Amen? And 
should sleep night and rise by day, verse 27, and the seed should sprout and grow, he himself does not know how. Now notice, remember what, let's connect this with what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but who gave the increase? God. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, he said, being born again, not of incorruptible seed, or not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed. That is the word of God that liveth and abideth forever. So you were born again by seed, spiritual, incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. That seed got on the inside of you and produced life. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, he said, I've got water. If you drink of that water, you'll never thirst again. It will be a well continually springing up into everlasting life. So the seed is the Word of God. The soil is the heart of man. So it is God that causes the seed to grow. I planted Apollos water. God gave the increase. Now notice. So then he says in verse 28, For the earth yields crops by itself first, what? The blade. Then what? The head. After that, the full grain in the head. Notice the progression. And, and if we look at nature as an example, even everything God created, you don't see anything in nature where someone plants a seed, the next day you have a full tree bearing fruit. Right? We have no illustration of that in nature anywhere. Where you plant a seed and the next day you have the full harvest. Nowhere do we have that in nature. So we have to understand there is a progression. And unfortunately, we live in a society where we drive through, you know, fast food lane. And I'm, when I do that, I, I'm guilty. And it's, it takes, you know, three minutes instead of two minutes. And I'm complaining. <laughs> what is taking so long? Right? And you know, years ago we had to make everything yeah. <laughs> from scratch. You know what I mean by that, right? You made it from scratch, not open a package and pour it in a bowl and mix water with it. No, you made it from scratch. It took time. But now, microwave that thing 30 seconds is taking forever. Popcorn in there, three minutes. Everything now in our society is almost, you know, we expect instantaneous results. Instantaneous. You know, now even with web pages, they say you have 15 seconds to capture someone's attention on your web page. 15 seconds. If you can't capture them, 15 seconds, they're going to move on. 15 seconds. So everything is so fast paced. And if we're not careful, we can apply that to God's word and expect instant, immediate results. So the second year, I got sick. But I did not quit confessing the Word of God. I did not get discouraged. I didn't develop a bad attitude. And I continued to confess. Third year came. Third year came. No sickness. And that's been almost 30-some, 30 35 years ago. Never had the stomach flu. Again. 
Never had it again. Now, I continue to confess God's Word. First a blade, then the ear, or then the stalk, then the full corn in the ear. Hallelujah. God's Word works. It works. But we have to understand there's a process. Faith comes by hearing. Not having heard. But by hearing. And sometimes, and we're all guilty of this, we hear one message on the subject of faith, and we think, well, I, I know it all. And then, you know, pastor, someone preaches on faith. Well, I've heard that. And so we shut down mentally. And we shut down so the Word of God does not come in. But it is the watering process that produces a harvest. The watering process, and according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, that watering process, a part of that is teaching the Word of God, hearing the Word of God continually. Continually. Hallelujah. So we have to understand that our faith can grow and be developed and must continually be kept strong. Continually. So I am talking here tonight about developing a strong foundation of faith that will stand, withstand when the storms of life or the challenges of life or the difficulties of life come our foundation will be strong and carry us through. So we looked at Matthew chapter 7, and I want to look at that again real quick. Just reviewing Matthew chapter 7. Pastor said we had all night, so praise the Lord. So in China, we typically teach about uh, seven hours a day. Uh, and in India, about four hours a day. And so we'll just, you know, shorten it a little bit. For your sake. After seven hours, our students in China say, is that all? Can we come back tonight and have two or three more hours? And we say, well, we would if we had the strength, but we need some rest. But that's how hungry they are. Now notice here, Matthew chapter 7, we're talking about faith. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. God did not design us as His children to go through this life and be totally dominated by difficulties to the point that we cannot function, that we have no victory. He designed us to overcome. Hallelujah. As a matter of fact, in the book of Romans, it tells us that He wants us to reign in this life as kings. Well, kings reign in their domain. Isn't that right? They rule in their domain. Your domain is your life and your marriage and your family. When God created this earth, He planted a garden and put Adam and Eve in that garden. And He told Adam and Eve, you have dominion over your garden. You have dominion over your garden, your life, your marriage, your family. You have dominion. You have to exercise that dominion. That dominion is exercised through the Word of God, the authority that's in the Word of God, acting on godly principles, following godly principles, and exercising your authority, spiritual authority that has been given to you by Jesus Christ, the head of the church. So God wants us to experience in this life, He wants us to experience what it means to exercise authority. 
and to walk through this life dominating circumstances. Doesn't mean we're not going to have problems. We will. But to be able to walk through them, come out of the fire. We sang that song. When the Hebrew children came out of the fire, they didn't even have the smell of smoke. Think about that. Think about that. My wife and I were living in China. We're out walking. Uh, of course, that's what we're going to do. Out walking. Uh, she's going to make me walk. We're out walking. And all of a sudden we had, thank God for the Holy Spirit. We had a burden and started praying in tongues. And we're praying in tongues. Didn't know why. Just had this burden to pray in tongues. And so we were praying in tongues. I'm not sure how long. 30 minutes maybe or longer. We came back to our apartment. There were fire firemen there uh, and a fire truck. We lived on the 30th floor. Uh, two towers, 30 floors. We lived on the 30th floor. And there was a fire about, I don't know what level it was. About, 15. about, fif about 15. And so the elevators were out. If you ever walk 30 floors, I don't know how those people who race upstairs do it. But anyway, we had to walk through where the fire was and the smell got on our clothes. We had to throw the clothes away. Just the smell. If you've ever been in a fire, a house fire, a fire, and had to walk through that, the smell of that is almost impossible to eradicate. And it'll stay in your, your nose for a while. It's just unbelievable. And so the three Hebrew children, not even the smell of fire. Not even the smell on them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So notice here, where was I before I said that? Huh? Matthew 7. Thank you. Just want to make sure you know. Now I want you to back up here real quickly. Because there's something I want you to see. Notice back up here in, in uh, actually go back to Mark and then we'll come back to Matthew. I want you to see this quickly before we come back to Matthew. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 verse 24. And this is prior to what Jesus said concerning uh, how the seed grows. Jesus said to them, take heed what you, what? Hear. Be careful what you listen to. Now, they didn't have all of the media that we have today. Isn't that right? Take heed what you hear with the measure you meet. It shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear shall more be given. I like the Amplified, the classic Amplified, that says, The amount of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will determine... The measure of, do you have that? Oh, there, is this the old one? Yeah, the measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you and more besides will be given to you who hear. So it's not just hearing, it's the amount of thought and study you give to the truth you hear. We'll determine what comes back. Amen. Isn't that right? Just like the bodybuilder, you know, those muscles or those, those weights represent resistance. It's not the weight, it's the resistance that builds muscle. And actually, the resistance will literally begin to tear the muscle down a little bit, just a little bit, 
It's the rebuilding of the muscle that causes growth. If you lift too much weight, it'll tear the muscle, and then you damage the muscle. And then you're handicapped, you can't lift for a while. But there's just enough resistance to begin to tear down the muscle tissue, just a little, and the healing process of that muscle tissue actually builds stronger muscle. Just enough resistance. Just enough resistance. Without that resistance, there is no development. So in our own life, when we act on God's Word, you don't have to believe for resistance. You don't have to confess, oh, resistance come, resistance come. <laughs> Trouble, test, trials come in Jesus' name, come. No, they're going to come. It's just a matter of course. You don't have to believe. It's not God that's testing you. James said in James chapter 1, God tests or tempts no man. So don't let anyone say that God tempts them with evil. He does not. He does not. Now sometimes God will lead you into areas, not to tempt you, you understand, but lead you into areas that will help develop you. Sometimes I have been placed around certain personality types at work. And uh, I had to grow. It was good growth for me. Sometimes the Lord asked me to do certain things. He never asked me to do anything that would bring sickness or disease or any aspect of the curse of the law into my life. He's redeemed me from that. But the Spirit did lead Jesus into the wilderness. Isn't that right? And God will never lead you into something or lead you to develop in an area that will crush your faith or defeat you spiritually. Every spiritual, uh, every spiritual battle and defeat will affect your faith. God does not want your faith to go backward or decrease. He wants your faith to increase. So the Word of God gives us a capacity to produce faith. We hear the Word of God. It brings the capacity for faith to grow, but faith really grows when we put into practice what the Word says. So in John 5, it says, Love your enemies. Hallelujah. Do good to them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Pray for them, right? Pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. So love your enemies. So if you want to grow in that area, oh Lord, teach me about love. Oh Lord, I want to grow in love. Really? Well, you're going to have some opportunities. A lot of opportunities to develop that love muscle. A lot of opportunities. Lord, I want to learn about patience. Long-suffering. Oh, yes. Long-suffering. So there's some areas of our life that uh, it's hard on our flesh. You understand? But if we allow ourselves to go through some of those areas and not run away, you understand? 
But to work through them, we grow and we develop. Now, you understand God's never going to test you or try you to sin. He'll never, ever do that. And He'll never put you in an area, bring sickness or disease on you or anything like that, that you're redeemed from. Now, Satan will. He's the thief and he's the destroyer. And Jesus said the thief comes to kill, steal, destroy. That's his three-point point program. Anything that steals from you, kills or destroys is not from God. Jesus said, I'm coming to give you life and give it more abundantly. Amen. However, in the maturing process, you understand, sometimes we, uh, God will lead us in some areas that will help us develop in the area of love or in the area of patience and long-suffering. Amen. Amen. And we want to rebuke all of that. <laughs> Get thee behind me, Satan. Amen. All right, now notice the measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will determine the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you. So be not weary in well-doing. Don't get tired of doing the right things. Continue to do the right things. Apply yourself when it comes to the Word of God. Keep a constant daily confession of God's Word. Constant daily confession of God's Word. Regardless of what you feel like, regardless of what you see around you. Constantly continue to keep yourself strong in these areas. All right, go back to Matthew chapter 7 quickly. I want to say a couple other things here. We'll try to wrap this up. A few things I want to share with you. Matthew chapter 7. Uh, and we read this earlier, the story of the two foundations. We'll begin with verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them or doeth them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded or established on the rock." But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. So again, notice what Jesus said concerning these two individuals. They both experienced the same identical storms of life. They both heard the same word. The only difference between these two individuals was their foundation. One built on the rock, the other built on sand. Well, the rock, Jesus said, is hearing my sayings and doing them. So really, the only word that we know is what we practice. Right? The only word we really know in here that's a part of us if you abide in me, John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. My words abide in you. How do you know if they abide in you? They'll just automatically come out of you. When you're placed into a situation where pressure is placed on you, what comes out of you determines what's abiding in you. 
when you put a tea bag in hot water, you'll find out what's in the tea bag. If it's red tea, green tea, black tea, lemon tea, you don't know until it's placed in hot water. So what's on the inside of you will come out of you when you're placed in hot water. So if it's abiding in you, it will come out of you when the pressure is on. As I said this morning, it's not the words that you say in church that will determine your victory. It is the words that you speak when no one else is listening. You're by yourself, no one's hearing, and the pressure's on. Those words, hallelujah, those words will bring the victory. Amen. So the two foundations, and I want you to notice here that the storm did not make the foundation strong. The foundation was strong before the storm came. And you can develop a strong, robust faith life before the difficulties of life, the challenges of life come. Now, interesting story. I read this uh, in one other location, and it's a story told by Neil uh, Beidelman, who survived a 1996 expedition in which eight climbers died on Mount Everest. Some of them had paid $65,000 just to scale the peak. And so in assessing what went wrong, because eight of the climbers died, the leader of the expedition says, tragedies and disasters are not the result of a single decision, a single event, or a single mistake. They are the culmination of things in life. Something happens and it becomes a catalyst for all the things you've had at risk. On Everest, that something was a raging blizzard, which they did not prepare for. According to the journalist, if not for the storm, the climbers may have gotten away with taking so many risks, but the storm exposed their weakness. And so as it is in our own life, it's not a single event, a single confession that produces a problem. It is the culmination of thoughts and words and actions over a period of time that produces a pattern that results in a problem. The fortunate thing is we can correct that. We can correct that. Hallelujah. We can correct that with the Word of God. We can correct that by right thinking, by right confession, by right actions. Hallelujah. We can change things. And we have the privilege of having the helper on the inside, the power of God, the life of God on the inside to help us. And He will. He will strengthen you. Amen. He will help you build a solid foundation. It comes from knowing the Word of God and then acting on that word. Now, I want to uh, close with this, and I want you to notice uh, again 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. And again, I have a long conclusion. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. And this is so important. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. <clears throat> Be sober. Be vigilant. I wish I had time to talk about that. Be sober. 
Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, not God, the devil. You know, the first key in experiencing victory in your life is to identify the cause of the problem. And the cause of all of our problems in this life, in humanity, is not God. It's the devil. Now, you understand sometimes we can create our own problems. I'm not discounting that. We can create our own problems, but I'm talking about in general now. Uh, all sickness, all disease, all difficulty uh, comes from a, a spiritual source we know as the enemy of God, Satan. Now notice here, your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9, resist him. Resist him. Whom resist steadfast in the faith or with your faith knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But notice immediately, Peter says, when your adversary comes, anything from your adversary comes, what do you do? You resist. That is an aggressive posture. And that's the reason many times we don't overcome is we put up with things that we should not put up with. We get a sniffle, we get a little ache here and there, we get something here, oh, I can, you know, I can manage. Why? It's allowing the little foxes and they spoil the vine. The little things come in that we put up with and we're not aggressive in our posture of resisting Satan in every area. And so we subconsciously, unconsciously allow him to come in. We open the door just a little. And all you need to do is open the door a little and he'll try to push his way in in other areas. So we recognize the source and we immediately have a posture of faith that is aggressive in resisting him. How do we resist him? We resist him the same way Jesus did with the word of God. It is written. It is written. It is written. Jesus did not pick up a rock and try to throw it at the devil. No, he used the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit, which is a spiritual weapon. And he spoke those words actively and aggressively. Immediate temptation come, immediate response. Well, let me have a two or three days to think about that temptation. <laughs> temptation comes, eh, you know, let me entertain that for a little bit. feels good. We do not immediately resist. And that's the problem. You must aggressively, immediately resist. And the only way you can resist is if you know what God's Word says about that situation. It's the only thing Jesus, the only example we have in the Bible of Jesus successfully overcoming or resisting Satan is this illustration in the Gospels. Three times he quoted verses from Deuteronomy. So Peter says, whom resist steadfast in the faith. So resist implies the exercise of faith. In the faith, the word used refers to the believer's own faith. Now in his book, Christ the Healer, F.F. F. Bosworth said this, the act of faith, now listen, very important. The act of faith is not only a physical act, it includes the exercise of the heart and mind toward God. 
The full exercise of faith means we think faith, speak faith, and act faith. This brings the manifestation of all that faith takes according to the promise of the Word. So the full exercise of faith means our minds, our spirits, our thoughts, and our words are governed or controlled by what we believe. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me say it again. The full exercise of faith means we think faith, speak faith, act faith. This brings the manifestation of all that faith takes according to the promises of the Word. So the full exercise of faith means our minds, our spirits, our thoughts, our words are governed or controlled by what we believe. That's the full exercise of faith. So when a situation comes, fear comes, pain or sickness comes, then we must take an aggressive posture and immediately attack that particular challenge, whatever it may be, immediately, aggressively attack it with the Word of God. One last scripture. Turn over to John chapter uh, 14, or John chapter 12, I believe. One last scripture, and, and this, is, this is a scripture that I use constantly. John chapter, uh, did I say 12 or 14? Uh, 14. John chapter uh, 14 and verse, let's just go down to verse uh, 13. Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus said, whatever you ask, that word ask is an interesting word. It also carries the thought of commanding or demanding. Whatever you demand or command in my name, that will I do, not the Father. That will I do. Now we know how to pray. In John 16, 23, Jesus said, Whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will do it or give it to you. Whatever you ask the Father in my name. This is not talking about prayer in the sense of petitioning God or asking for things that belong to us. This is something totally different. Actually, it's in connection with doing the works of Jesus. But this applies to us as individual believers. Jesus said, whatever you demand in my name, in my name, that is where the authority is, in my name, that will I do. Jesus is going to do it, not the Father. I will do it. In other words, I will make it good. I will back you up. He said the same thing to Peter in Matthew 16 and Matthew chapter 18. If whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven, whatever you permit or disallow or allow, heaven will allow or disallow. And then Matthew 18, 19, If two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything they ask, it shall be done for them by their Father. Now notice, it begins on the earth, not in heaven. That's because that's where we are. That's where the church is and the authority has been invested into the church through the name of Jesus. So we are on this earth using that authority. What we allow or disallow, heaven backs us up. So Jesus said, whatever you demand in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you demand anything, I will do it. We have an example. Acts chapter 3. Peter 
and John were going to the temple to pray. They came into the gate beautiful because that's the closest one to the temple. Here was a, a beggar. I'm sure Jesus passed that man. And I'm sure the disciples passed that man many times. But today something was different. All of a sudden the Holy Spirit arrested Peter and he looked at the man. And the man thought he was going to give him money. And, and Peter said, I don't have any money with me right now, but I have something better than money. I have the name of Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. The man was healed. Now notice, the people came together. Peter said, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't look at us. As by our own power or holiness. Listen to that. By our own power or holiness, this man was healed. No, no, no. It's not my power and it's not my holiness that caused this manifestation of healing. It is faith in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Faith in that name. So I use this verse constantly. When anything comes into my body, I immediately aggressively attack it. And I say, no, 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 no. In Jesus' name, I command you to leave my body. I command these symptoms. I command this sickness. I command this pain to leave my body. And it leaves. It leaves. You have a right to do that. Because you're bought with a price. The Bible said, therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are the Lord's. How do you glorify God in your body? By having a well body, a healthy body. Because Jesus himself took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses. So to glorify God in your body is to believe that, receive that, receive that redemptive healing and walk in divine health. That's to glorify God in your body. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So you can have a strong faith that will build a foundation in your life regardless of the rain, the storm, the winds, the floods. You will stand. You will stand. You will stand. Amen. It comes from knowing what God's Word says and building that word into your spirit, and then being a doer, not just a hearer, being a doer. Love your enemies. Do that. Act on that. And when you act on that, resist what your flesh wants to do. Then your love muscle grows stronger than your flesh muscle. And when your love muscle grows stronger than your flesh muscle, you'll pinch yourself and think, is that me? Because we do have a flesh muscle. We have two natures. Jesus said in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus, that which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit. So we have two natures, a fleshly one and a spiritual one. My fleshly one comes from my parents. My spiritual one comes from my heavenly father. His nature is love. My human nature is not love. I was born German. That's not a good a good nature in some respects. You understand, I'm not against that, but I'm, I'm, my mother's from Germany, and so, uh, you know, I have, I have the ability to see a problem in every solution. My grandson has some of my genes. He'll come into my house, say, Papa, you have a light out. There's a cobweb up there. He's right. Thank you, Jesus. 
There's a genetic side. But we can control that. Amen. We can enhance our personality with the Word of God. And there's some good things about our personality that you can enhance with God's Word and use it for the glory of God. Amen.